0: Pod. Pod. They have beaten the United States of America
1: to advance to the semifinals of the FIBA Basketball World Cup. Havlicek stole the pod and Spain of all the countries stole the FIBA World Cup early this morning. It's finally over. If you've been trying to wake up and get those 8.30 start times in, it's all over. We'll be back to 7 p.m. soon. I can smell training camp. We've been trying to suck out every topic that we can. I think this is going to be the last week that we're digging deep for content. But the World Cup did a great job at holding us in and just giving us something to talk about. I was entertained. I thought it was a great product. And we had a team I don't think anyone else thought coming in was going to win it. We had two teams in this cup final. If you look at the betting odds, plus 3,000. That's what Spain was coming in. And then plus 8,000, their opponent, Argentina. So we had two Spanish squads going at it. Um, For my Celtic Spain audience, very happy. Mostly between Spain and Argentina, those two groups. So congratulations to them. Campeones in España. And Marcus Gasol, how about that? One summer, NBA Finals champ, World Cup champ. It's great to see. I'm sure is happy about it. I'm sure the international basketball community was happy that the USA didn't just hold a monopoly over this thing. They were clear favorites coming in, at least according to the betting odds. Other people had their doubts. And once we saw them play, I think everybody had their doubts about this team. That came to fruition, and they ended up placing seventh in this. So what's that say about the Celtics, who constituted most of this roster? What's that say about Team USA for the future? I'm bringing in an expert, Coach Nick, D ball Breakdown. Nick, good afternoon from Chicago on this Sunday. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, Bobby. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: So I don't think we've had you here on the Celtics Blog podcast yet. We've done about like 50-plus episodes between the two renditions of it, and I followed you for a long time. I love the videos. I think most people across the internet love the videos that you do, breaking it down. Um, you know, you basically have four different styles of basketball coverage across the internet. The analytical one has always been one that I'm very interested in. I think the hardcore basketball fans love it too because you just learn something, and there's nothing better than learning something about the game. You give it to us every time, so I know you have a coaching background. Um, when did you start doing like these video breakdowns on YouTube the way you do them now?
0: Well, I, I guess I started in 2010 uh, in around in May when the playoffs were in full swing. But I didn't know what the heck I was doing for a while, even though it kind of caught on, you know, early. And uh, I was also a head coach at a high school in Los Angeles. So the way I kind of phrase it now is that the day I stopped coaching was the day that uh, B-Ball breakdown blew up because I just finally had time to do it full time. So that was 2013.
1: This is what I've been talking about for a few weeks right now. And it's how much can we project what Team USA did, all their problems, all the mishaps, everything that led them to seventh place. How much can we project that to the Celtics? Because obviously four members of the Celtics, Played for this team, I think you can kind of compare some of the issues that the Celtics could face to this year's center concerns. Uh, Kemba Walker facilitating for the Wings who need to grow on this team, and then the Wings themselves actually, you know, maximizing every night of the season because all these problems happened on the Celtics last year, besides the center one. Now it's Ennis Cantor coming in here. Miles Turner, you know, was all right for this team, but. The depth on there was a big concern, so I, I just see a lot of things that happen to this USA roster that I feel like could happen the exact same way on the Celtics.
0: I can see how that could be a certainly a possible thing. I, I did do a video on this and how Kemba will fit in with the Celtics, and I was pretty uh, uh, encouraged by that by what I saw. Um, you know, he, he's a different player than Kyrie, uh, certainly the way he moves and how he attacks, but there are a lot of also similarities. So the real question with him specifically is going to be whether or not you know, the the, the teammate aspect and the mental aspect fits in better than it did with Kyrie. Because clearly it sounded like, even just from an outside perspective, for me, it just didn't sound it sounded like one of the bigger issues is sort of like the chemistry and the way they didn't sort of interact well. Um, so that's one thing that I feel like should be better. And I do feel like Kemba... Is not necessarily the kind of guy that like just filled up the stats sheet on a bad team. They they were on you know some of the teams were pretty were decent that he played on, so I think it'll be a plus for them. But after this performance and what we saw, I mean you know I had gotten in trouble on Twitter for tweeting uh, what I what I inferred was uh, you know some some strife on the court between Donovan Mitchell and uh, and Kemba, and Donovan Mitchell lit me up on Twitter for it, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I, what he didn't say in there still seemed to indicate that, uh, there could have been some of those issues. And clearly, um, we saw that in the court.
1: The, the French game, I think is what you're pointing to. And I watched the video breakdown of that game. It it was interesting because I watched all the games except for that one. That was the one morning I got caught in class that I couldn't watch USA and you go back and look at the way they interacted the way they held down the ball time there and just the way the ball moved in that game I thought movement was actually one of the things that this team did well the amount of spacing the quality shots that they got I thought that work through the earlier portions of this tournament and then against French I don't know if it's because they had Rudy Gobert just sailing off the middle or things just broke down between Mitchell and Kemba there but that problem just erupted there maybe it was on a smaller scale in the earlier games and I didn't catch it as much but that was weird because Kemba was you know dominating the ball a little bit the way we saw Kyrie do it late in the season that he was just trying to make this happen and it it wasn't going to happen from one player especially him.
0: Mm-hmm. The point I made was he had scored. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had scored twenty eight points in twenty nine minutes, and then I don't even know if he got a shot the last five minutes of the game when you know they it was very close and they couldn't pull it out. And that's usually the role of your point guard. You know he needs to be able to understand how to distribute that and get the get the shots for the guys when they need them. And uh, it didn't happen there um the play I shared was an example of that and uh and just I I just feel like I was going to do a video on their offense what they're running some of the interesting stuff and we went through it you know before the last week of the tournament and there honestly wasn't enough half-court possessions to demonstrate anything interesting that's that's how ho-hum their offense looked to me um, from my perspective.
1: So what do you think that is? We talk about what went wrong with Irving late in the season with the Celtics and what went wrong with Kemba here. Is this a product of a point guard being the best player on your team, being the point at which everything goes through? Is that more of a curse of that being the style of your team, or is it the players here, the Irving, the Kemba? Does it say something about them specifically? Because, you know, Curry made this happen, of course, but Curry is the greatest shooter of all time
0: yeah I also and Korea have better teammates too. I, I think that um, it's hard it's hard when you throw this team together and you know let, let's not, let's not ignore some of the big um, elephants in the room or whatever that no one's really talking about is that they had some injuries. So you yeah. know if Kyle Kuzma is on the team and if Tatum is playing, they're better, right? Like that, that's a better version of the team that played that lost those games. So maybe that doesn't happen that way. Um, you know, and so that, but that puts pressure on the guys that are still playing, and so that's a natural thing for them to do. And when you have other teams that have been playing for a long time, like Spain, for instance, they were so good with letting uh, uh Marcus all be the fulcrum of their offense out top, and that just seems clear to me. It's because Sergio UA and um, and uh, you know, uh, what's his guy, uh, the other guy uh, who used to play in the NBA, like those guys it's just tremendous. um. Yeah, Fernandez. They just, they just been playing for so long together that they know that those are the plays that work really well for them. Whereas, you know, they were, I think the US is still trying to find their way. Now, did the U.S. sort of come off sort of too cocky when they were training in Vegas? Did it seem like, oh, we we got this. Don't worry about it. And maybe they didn't quite, you know, rigorously put in what they needed to do uh, or were concerned about what wasn't happening. Maybe that could be something. That that could be the arrogant uh, people like me uh, criticizing Team USA that Pop is calling out. But um, what did he call me? I think he, he didn't call me. He called whoever he was calling. I- immature, I think, was the word. And then uh, arrogant. <laughs> Um, and it's like I don't know. You have you have you have the NBA players who are ranked twentieth. 20th- through 32nd or 20th through 40th in that range. I don't know. That should be that should be good enough to have better than a seventh place finish in the FIBA World Championships. I mean
1: now I look at the seventh and I'm like, all right, this convoluted system they have, you play for fifth, you play for seventh. Once you lose outright, I don't know how much of those guys even want to be out there in China. I don't I don't know how much they like China. I never been there, but I'm sure I wouldn't want to hang out there too long if I had just lost a tournament. So I don't I don't kill them for seventh. The, the fact is they didn't get first which is what drives people crazy now i look at this and if i'm paralleling the celtics this team i think one of the big holes in my argument that people have thrown at me is that the nba fiba they're different I, this usa roster was out there playing an nba style pace and space that kind of thing that's taken the league over because that's what they have that's what these guys are playing with their respective teams whereas spain France, those kind of teams are still playing that international style. Can, can you break down the big differences that um, you know in the FIBA game versus the NBA game that we could take into consideration there?
0: You know, I don't know if I see huge differences because the influence of international plays is, is taken over in the NBA. Uh-huh. So, like, for instance, like, in my mind's eye right now, what's fresh is the Spain stuff, which – and then, um, let's see, I did Spain and when they beat Australia – so you know, I see you know what you see a lot of there uh, in Spain is a lot of triple handoffs across the top, which cause all sorts of problems. But they you know they're also running pick and roll, they're also spreading. Um, you know they do use you know Gasol really uh, you know in that Jokic way, um, which the USA does not have. They did not have any kind of a big man that's like crushing screens and hand. What the big thing I think I noticed what that it's interesting is, it's not a handoff. They will pitch and pick is what I call it, which is sort of a handoff, but <laughs> but they'll pitch it about eight feet and then they set the screen. So it's still kind of really fast uh, materializing is play versus holding up your fist, waiting for the big man to run out there and set a screen. That's what they, the U S would do. So I would almost argue the U S is kind of, you know, going really back to like rudimentary offense that we, that we don't see normally in the NBA anymore. And maybe they tried to simplify it, you know, just because they didn't have a lot of time or something, but um, I, I hope I'm answering that question is pretty well. I mean, we saw, you know, Australia would say a lot of sort of pin downs, uh, which was confusing the defense and, the, and Team USA. They wanted to switch, but then they would – two guys would go to the cutter and then the screeners wide open for a dunk. You know, and that would happen all throughout the tournament. They could never get their defense proper. So it wasn't even just the offense that Team USA was running that was struggling, and it did. They, they had – they lost one of those games. They scored 79 points. It was
1: like, a mess that's... late against Turkey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, they should have lost to Turkey. So the seventh place finish would have been ninth or whatever that would have been. You know what I mean? They really lost to Turkey. They didn't deserve to win that game. And, you know, short of a meltdown, they missed four free throws in the last 30 seconds. uh, USA has another loss. So uh, it was a really just a terrible showing, you know, from a bunch
1: of pros NBA players. Poor Seti Osman, maybe the biggest loser in this whole tournament. He could have been the one to finally unseat the U.S., and someone else ended up doing it later. France. I'm yeah. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the Kemba versus Kyrie comparison that people have been throwing around all summer. You actually broke down how Kemba's going to fit with the Celtics. So I wanted to here just how you compare those two because it just seems like a lot of people have been talking about them on an interchangeable basis and and I think the biggest argument in favor of Kemba seems to be that he will be a better fit with this system as a comparable talent than Kyrie even though he's a little bit better of an overall player not as good of a fit within Stevens. this whole argument seems to be centered around how these guys are going to work for Stevens.
0: I think it's a hierarchy thing, you know, because I think Tatum and Brown were struggling when Kyrie comes back uh, to figure out, you know, you need a pecking order. You need sometimes a coach to just get in someone's face and tell them what the role is. And I don't know if Stevens necessarily is that guy or wants to be that guy. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily depending on the kind of players he has. But those guys blossom. They're feeling good about themselves. And then it just completely changes again once Kyrie comes back. So that's a strange situation that they didn't deal with well. I did my whole take on it. I think as far as the point guard in Brad Stevens' offense was what Isaiah Thomas had been doing, which seemed to get me uh, my like my coaching Spidey sense would always tingle in a good way when I would watch uh, Isaiah Thomas attack out of that offense. And I kind of think I try to boil it down to the notion that uh, Isaiah was really good at coming off of like handoffs and full speed into a catch before getting a pick and roll. And it wasn't just a 10 dribble. It's the stationary uh, attack before like pick and roll comes. And it kind of felt like Kyrie would gravitate more to doing it that way. And I was able to find evidence where it seems like Kemba is more comfortable coming off of the pistol action that I would see, like he'd get a pin down into a handoff, or he get a handoff into a pick and roll, and suddenly that attack is now hyper speed. The defense is always playing catch-up in those situations, and when you have a good spacing, now he can be getting downhill into the lane and then facilitating or finishing. So um, it seems like Kemba is a little bit more attuned to doing that out of the Charlotte offense, so maybe they can get back to doing that whereas Kyrie came from, you know, the Cleveland offense which did not have that kind of motion and um, that's that was I think what I'm hanging my hat on going into this year.
1: Mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone has a doubt that Kemba can maintain that competitiveness that they should have done the deal just to keep them alluring as a free agent destination I mean that was the saving grace of the summer for them is that they got one of the marquee free agents even with Horford, Irving, Morris all those guys walking out the door what's the end to this that's what I wondered all summer long because you have a max player now in Kemba you're hoping that Gordon Hayward can get back to that max level. But ultimately, if this team's going to reach championship level, which is what they always want to be at, those wings have to come along. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, those are the guys that they held back from trade talks for so many years. So they're, they're the guys. Is the onus on Kemba to get them there? Or are th- these guys going to have to become dribblers, creators for themselves, just guys that can you know, score 18 to 20 points a night on their own rather than just being... Uh, you know, kicked out passes from Kemba, set with cuts from them. Like That's where these guys seem to be getting a lot of their points, even in this Team USA situation, because they don't have the elite ability to create for themselves or even the amount of, you know, shots and ball time within the offense if they're playing with a Kemba to do that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I I will say I'm this performance I saw from both Brown and um, Tatum it, it makes me concerned uh, going to this year. We've seen in the past guys play for FIBA and get like an incredible amount of uh, uh, I, I guess you can call it um, confidence, and they and they play with the better players and they do well. I kind of want to say, like, Harden had that one year, I think maybe before he really exploded. He played for FIBA, and was stayed in shape all summer and just, like, exploded. Uh, I feel like S- Steve Nash, way back in the day, had that happen to him. And this did not happen for these guys. They They sort of didn't show me any progression. And it makes me worry that we've seen, you know, their ceiling. And certainly, what I did see from Tatum, it's just it's just not happening. He's sort of stuck where he was, which is good, but it's not where they needed to be if they want to take that next step. Especially because they've lost Horford, which I think is going to be. We can talk about that in a second. But um, but so so I think that there's an issue here with with the development of Tatum, and I think Brown too, because when they do play together, and when Kyrie was injured and they were doing well, it, it caused so many problems for the defense because they had to be, they were going to be uh, have a mismatch on one of those guys, because they like either Brown would be the, at the um, two-guard spot, or even Tatum would be, their guarding would be much shorter than him, they could do some damage there. Uh, but yeah, it's a problem, and I, I don't know if I see them, they, they have a lot to prove to me, that they can actually do that. I don't know if the presence of Kemba has anything to do with that development. It's going to be on them, and uh, they have another few weeks to, f- to figure it out before the season starts.
1: And it's tough, because you do lose another creator, in Al Horford. I I was a little optimistic on Tatum because I saw him and, you know, we only got to see him for a handful of games because of the ankle injury. But when he was out there, he was making those second level passes, driving to the lane, getting to the free throw line a little bit more. The concern with me for him is that, you know, the points just didn't come easily for him. And that's what he's been billed at is this great scorer, you know, better than Paul Pierce, as, you know, Jeff Goodman projected him to be. And at that point, you know, level of comparison. If he can be a fine player, fine. But the points have to come a little bit easier for him, and you lose out Horford now, which just killed me. That hurt a lot, as I've said on the show again and again. Um, it's going to take me a long time to get over them losing Horford the way they did. Who knows how it happened? But now they're left with Ennis Cantor, which I think is right. fine as a you know, fallback piece for them. It could have been much worse. We were talking about the center from Orlando possibly coming up. Um, you know, what do have? Three points a game last year. So Cantor comes in with some level of, you know, reputation, great rebounder, top end pick, uh, has had success, was a big part of that Portland team going to the West yeah. finals last year. It's just now so much is going to be stemming on him there. And we saw USA, they were turning toward, wing players harrison barnes jalen brown as centers through this tournament and now we're talking about marcus smart possibly getting some center minutes for the celtics that's how bad the center situation has turned you look at the celtics roster what they have going at center now it's going to be so different from what they had in horford that doesn't even need to be stated well what are you expecting out of that position from them how's it going to help them how's it going to hurt them
0: Well, the biggest thing that's going to kill them is the defense. Al Horford's defense was what saved them so often on that end. He was so good at being able to contain guards on the switches and pick and roll and then recover and get rebounds, or or even not get a rebound, just maybe boxing out and someone else gets the rebound. So that's going to absolutely kill them by putting in, by replacing him with uh, Cantor. I mean, there's no question. Now, the other thing that kills them even almost as badly is Aaron Baines. Not having him there is also a huge problem. He is good he is so helpful, and in his absence uh, from that team that they had, they were really doing well with him, is going to kill them. And plus, you know, he can spread the floor too with some shooting, so that's going to be a real problem. And I don't know, they're going to have to try and go small and try and you know just force the other team to adjust to them. But if I were playing against them, I, I would almost think let's go to traditional bigs and we'll just hammer them and get second shots and second shots all day long. Um, and those are those second shots, by the way, could be wide open threes. So um, that, that's gonna be a, a severe problem for them. I actually liked what you said you know what you said about Cantor and the Portland run. you know, he is valuable and even though his defense is, is maligned and criticized quite a bit, the defensive rebounding is part of defense and he is really good yes. at that. So that will help and that, that always that has been a thorn in the Celtic side in the past, so that will help. but um, they're gonna have to do it. On the offensive end, and uh, you know, I, I and by the way, Tatum still didn't impress me. With you know, in this tournament, he was still missing at the rim, uh, and his finishing wasn't as, wasn't didn't seem to take another jump. He's
1: always looking for the foul calls too in there. That drives me crazier yeah. than anything. Is when the arms go up in the air, you have to prove yourself as a finisher if you're going to be looking for that kind of stuff. And he's been doing yeah. that since day one. And it drives me crazy because I don't think he can beat anybody off the dribble. And
0: I got in trouble. You know, I'm sorry, Drew Hanlon, my buddy Drew, uh, for mentioning that on Twitter. But it's like you know, there are moves he will make where he actually then has the lane to like get that into the lane and beat his man. And he will just pull up from a long for a long two. And so in my mind, even if he makes the move that presents him with a, a way to beat his man, but yet he doesn't take it. Well, that means he can't beat his man. <laughs> so um, he has to start. And I know at the end of the season, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe at the end of last season, he finally started to, like, do it and, like, say, screw this. I'm not going to just settle for this 20-footer. I'm going to get to the basket more. Um, that then that opens up the whole, is he going to finish well or not? But um, So I think that there was a notion of I'm going to try and adjust that, which is good. Yeah, but, he was uh, aware of that. Yeah, but then he's going to have to finish. And that but might have been the root of him not wanting to beat his man on that one. And um, so he's got, he's got a lot to prove. This is the year. If he doesn't do it this year, if Tatum doesn't really make that jump, then I, I would imagine people are just going to simply shrug and be like, well, that, he doesn't have anything else. That's, and, what what and,
1: we've seen is it. And here's the other layer to it defensively, he's going to have a whole lot more on his plate now, too, because Marcus Morris ate up those bigger four matchups. He was basically their small ball four in the hole, rebounding, defending the bigger guys. Now Tatum's the biggest guy out of all those wings that they're going to be throwing out there, probably the most likely to get those four matchups to be leaned on for rebounding. I mean, his responsibilities now with Horford Morris leaving are only going to grow. I don't know how that complicates his offensive progression, but it definitely overall puts more on his plate. And all this talk, I I wonder what you have to say about it, about a wing, like smart, him, someone else playing some center minutes, going strictly small ball the way USA did it with Barnes out there. Is that going to be even possible for small spurts in the NBA this year?
0: I, I think so. I think it can be. Um, I will say this about Marcus Smart: he's a guy that coaches coaches should love, like the way he competes, and he's always playing as hard as he can. And sure, we like that part, but man, does he do things that drive me insane? <laughs> I really, I really do not like his game. What do you think of What do you think of his USA stint? Same. I saw the same stuff. You know, sort of ill-advised shots um you know drive he he just he, his offense offensive game is just unpolished and it doesn't seem like it's going to ever get more polished it's frustratingly so and he's really just sort of streaky and all over the place so he just drives me nuts the way you know the things he does but then he, and but then he'll throw in like an incredible like defensive deflection into a steal or whatever and they're like okay that that helps but you know he i don't know i i don't think if the, if they're going to pin their hopes on him being the x factor then i worry about that
1: I think the true X factor is Hayward. Not a lot to say about him. I know he's been in the gym going crazy, been around the facility a lot. That makes you feel good. And he'll be leaned on for creation, for probably defending some fours too out there on the wing. And they're going to be asking a lot more of him this year, reasonably so, two years removed from the injury. He got that year off off from blame which is fine i mean i thought he played well in that indiana series and then once the bucks came around he just basically disappeared so the honeymoon from him coming back from that injury is gonna end real quick if it looks the same as it did last year what did you see from him last year that you limited his ability to be that impact player that he was in utah
0: i mean he, he he was the poster child for like coming back from a serious injury and being scared to you know play all out and that's natural. And that might happen. That might be eliminated this year, you know, another year away from the injury. Uh, I think that without having the benefit of any inside knowledge, I think the biggest concern that they have, uh, the coaching staff and even Gordon himself, would be that there was some favoritism played there by the minutes he did get, even though he wasn't productive, considering he played for Brad Stevens in college. And, you know, there there could be levels to that that also, independent of the Kyrie issue, that might have been a problem in the locker room. That could have been 1A in the, the hierarchy of issues that they had. And that's not – that hasn't gone away. Kyrie's gone, so that's gone away. But this one hasn't because he's still there. So he's going to have to do it. And, you know, that is another – that, that I, I think, would be the X factor. If he could get back to being um, as productive as he was in Utah. But that also demands that the hierarchy of the, you know, the offense has to allow that to happen. And if that were to happen, that means Brown and Tatum again would have to be like, all right, we're going to only get our 14, 15 points a game, tops. Um And that's a problem. And Brad Stevens is going to have to do that coaching thing to figure that out.
1: Yeah, that egalitarian system is great to some degree. But then you get players in there who have protege, who can step above the others. Uh, How how have you felt about Stevens' system in that way? Because it's worked great in some ways, hasn't worked in other ways. I look back to that Game 7 against Cleveland that hurts so much more now because of the way the next year progressed. Everybody came off that game and was like, oh, they'll get it next year. Mm -hmm. and. (laughs) <laughs> and they obviously did not. They they couldn't get the ball to Tatum in that situation. It, it still looks back and hurts because he was rolling in that fourth quarter and the ball just kind of moves to whoever it may in the system. It's a great system. It's allowed them tremendous success through the regular seasons, but we've seen some of the downsides to it the last few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I'm a triangle offense coach. I mean, I've kind of moved on from that anyway because it's the modern game. But uh, when I would coach it, like I never had to tell anybody, okay, you you shoot more, and then you you don't shoot unless you're in the basket and open. You know, I never had to do that. It would always sort itself out. And I almost feel like you know that's what they're relying on here. Uh, I have the utmost respect for Brad Stevens. I use him as as my uh, I hold him up as the. Uh, prime example of you know emotional intelligence when communicating and trying to motivate players and, and get them to play as well as they can. But he is going to have to get to the finals. He is going to have to win a title. Something like that has to happen for him to to more fully deserve the reputation that he has at some point, you know, Popovich won titles and that's why he got the reputation. He has, although you you might give him a little tarnished from what happened this in the summer, but um, he did it. And so I I do think, I think that you know Stevens is going to have to really prove it. You know he didn't win a title in in the in the college either, which is also fraught with a whole other reasons. It doesn't necessarily reflect on the coaching as much, but even still, for you know he, for as high regard as he's held, and I hold him in, in that in that regard uh, without question, uh, he's going to have to get to the finals. They have to win a title, you know, and that's this is you know it's if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen in the next what two two or three years, and if it doesn't. You know, that's going to, that will also tarnish his legacy.
1: So, how do you see them playing defense this year? So much of it stemmed on Horford being able to switch across the board. If Cantor's going to be playing significant minutes for this team and he's able to be tossed around in the pick and roll, then they have to go small, and that presents its own issues. I mean, I've heard about dropping back the center, I've heard about these little techniques that they could throw in there to cover up some of the holes that they've had, and I still look back on the year that they had Jared Sollinger and Kelly Olynyk as their front court, and they were a pretty good defensive team as they can make this work. And Stevens has, you know, to his credit, despite some of the offensive issues they've had over the years, he has coached up this defense to so one of the highest levels in the league almost every single year that he's been there, even with Isaiah Thomas playing 30 minutes for this team. So he's been uh, able yeah. to hide players like that before. How do you see them playing defense this year?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, first of all, when you, if you have a team out there that has – uh, Jalen Brown, um, uh, Marcus Smart, uh, Jason Tatum, that's a lot of length. That's a lot of, you know, that 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 alone should do well. And then you throw in there, you know, you know cancer dropping and containing. Uh, I'm sure they can work with him a little bit. And I, he knows, and so I hope he's working on his lateral quickness better. So I, I have no doubt that they can make that work to some degree. Um, again, I don't know why teams don't, you know, do a little bit of pressing. Uh, I don't know why they don't play a little bit more zone um, and I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if if Stevens pulls some of that stuff out just to try and change the rhythm and, uh, and even for a possession or two. And when I say press, I don't even mean aggressive, crazy trapping. I mean two, two, one. Just make them take seven seconds in the backcourt and just barely get it over. And then they got to play offense with less time. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me why we don't see that happen more often. And again, you wouldn't wear a team out if you did that on like ten possessions across a game. And that's what people always freak out about. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about doing the entire game. You know, 10 possessions. You might get, I don't know, five stops of those 10 possessions, and then you win the game by six. It's like, that's, that's well worth it, in my opinion.
1: Love the insight, Coach Nick. I've been listening in keen. I'll push back on two things, though. Marcus okay. Smart, I love what he brings to the team. I think his defense outweighs the offense, and the three point shot did come around last year to 36. So I, I think he's progressing still. I think he's really developed as a passer. And I think he's going to be an important piece going forward for this team. There's a reason that they haven't traded him in any of these possible situations that have come up. And I think he's going to he he, he okay. might stick around. He might stick around longer than Jalen Brown. That's going to be my bold prediction: is that he sticks around on this team longer than Brown right. does with the contract expiring. Okay. Other one, I don't think Hayward got favoritism last year. In fact, I wrote about this. If anyone got favoritism on the team last year, it was Terry Roger, because he was horrific start to finish last year, and he was still getting those primary second-guard minutes for them. In fact, more than Hayward was getting for big stretches of the year and then into that Indiana series. So I, I fought back on that a little bit. I will give you this, though. Okay. If, if the players thought it was a problem... Then it was a problem, as misguided as it might have been on their part. No,
0: I think that was my point. Was like it, it, it was the perception. Yeah. And I don't know if Brad Stevens could ever have ad- I'm short of just addressing it face to face, nose to nose with those guys. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't even. I, I could probably even agree with you, thinking that it, the reality wasn't that they it was favoritism. Yeah. But that's the perception, and that's that's sometimes even worse. As soon as Marcus Smart stops stepping out of bounds when he catches the ball and drives, then then I'll feel better about it. How about that? <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> Coach Nick, I'd love to have you on more during the year. Of course, people, got to go watch your reviews on B-Ball Breakdown. Follow you on Twitter, at B-Ball Breakdown. Always great following along with you. And we'll talk to you more throughout the year. You got it. I'm in.